Okay, we are in Lesson 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at, again, Paul speaking about the nature of the ministry, but now he's going to talk about the nature of Christ's ministers, what it is about those who serve Christ in ministry. Now, remember what I told you. A lot of what Paul is doing in this letter, and again, this letter is oftentimes seen as a very difficult letter to understand, because you kind of wonder where Paul is going. If you have in the back of your mind that Paul is dealing with a group of people, a church in particular, that really has been influenced by some false teachers, some Judaizers, who are calling into question the Apostle Paul's credentials. They're calling into question his ministry and why he's doing ministry. They're, they're saying that he's doing it for his own personal gain. He doesn't really care about the Corinthians. If he did care about them, he'd come visit them. And all these different things. And so a lot of what's going on here in this letter is Paul addressing this issue of his credibility with them. Really addressing the issue that you know he is who he says he is. And they are an evidence of who he is because of his establishing the church there. Now, interspersed throughout this letter is a lot of doctrinal sections because Paul does, every once in a while, go off and expound upon a point. And so that's what we're seeing here in this letter. So we're going to look today at the nature of Christ's ministers. Now, who are Christ's ministers, first of all? Yeah, you are. You are. If you have truly trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you have put your faith there, and you have experienced salvation, you have the Holy Spirit within you, you were saved, not just for you to go do your own thing now, give me a blank check, let me go do what I want to do. You've been saved for a purpose. And that purpose is, is that you are His minister. And then we talked about that last week. Remember I said to you last week, am I, would I be able to meet everyone, every person that you meet in a week, would I be able to meet that many people? No, there's no way. As you think about the people who are your friends and stuff, am I ever going to have contact with them? Well, you hope, someone said. But probably not. And so the only person who's ever going to reach your friends or your family or your relatives with the gospel of Jesus Christ is Billy Graham, right? Are you going to watch Billy Graham on TV? Well, not necessarily, though. Yeah, not necessarily, but no, it, it's really going to be you and your personal witness and your personal life. We just heard an illustration here in our prayer request of someone who's got questions about Christianity, but they've met a lot of hypocrites. A lot of hypocrites, and really the issue is you and I are his ministers, and it's how, how do you live your life? And so we'll talk about that more later. But let's look at, first of all, verse 7. We're going to see a general principle here as we talk about the nature of Christ's ministers. In chapter 4, look at verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So here, notice, I want you to notice the first thing he's saying here. Mortal men have been entrusted with the message of the gospel. Now, I don't understand it. It just blows my mind 
that God would entrust so precious a message as the gospel of Jesus Christ, forgiveness through the sacrifice of Jesus, to you and I. And notice how he describes us. He describes us as what? Earthen vessels. Now, so did you understand what he's talking about here? He describes us as like a clay pot. A clay pot. Now, how delicate would a clay pot be? Yeah, it would be very delicate. Uh, could you just throw it around and, and it would be okay? I kind of picture it like a fine crystal glass in your, in your, in your mom's uh, china cabinet or one of those teacups, you know, that you weren't never allowed to touch. You know, we have some of those in our house and nobody's allowed to go near the china cabinet because if you mishandle it, what happens to it? Yeah, it breaks. And so that's the kind of description that he's giving us here of these earthen vessels is that we're talking about that God has entrusted us with us the earthen vessels, you and I, with a powerful treasure that is the treasure of the gospel. That's the first principle I want you to understand is that God has entrusted you and I with the message of the gospel. The next thing I want you to notice we see from verse 7 is the purpose. God demonstrates His power in salvation by using mortal men. God demonstrates His power. Listen, can I be honest with you? He just, just in his other letter, the, the, the first epistle to the Corinthians, he talks about how God confounds the wise by using the foolish. That, that's, a, that's a basic principle. See, God, God's not interested in using spectacular people to reach people. Because you could say, well, He was gifted. Or he, he, had, he had the resources. Or he had the gift of gab. Or, or he could do all of this. God is interested in using ordinary people. Ordinary people to reach people. Because when they reach people, who gets the glory? God does. It's not a demonstration of us and our power, but a demonstration of whose power? God's power. Do you understand? God's not interested in gifted people. Now, so notice your question there in your book. We often assume that our weakness will hinder the gospel and distract from it. On the contrary, how does our weakness reveal God's power? We oftentimes will say, well, I, can, I don't know that I can share my faith because I don't have all that Bible knowledge that George does. So let me ask you a question. We oftentimes, all of us, feel that way in sharing our weakness. We'll think, oh man, I can never be you. I might as well not even share. What if he asked me, where did Cain get his wife from? You know, all these different things. Now, let me ask you something. That's our assumption that God can't use us because of our weaknesses. But how do our weaknesses demonstrate the power of God? Yeah, only He can do it. Did you hear what Mike said? Only He can do it. What, how else would it demonstrate our power? Okay, it gives you the strength to do it, even in spite of your weakness, but don't let your weakness hinder you from doing what you need to do because it's God who's the one who's going to work in their heart. Do you understand? Now, let me just stop for a moment. We talked last week about this a little bit. Let me just ask you this question real quick now. 
How does that free you when you realize this? How does that set you free? Because oftentimes we think of evangelism and sharing our faith or our story as bondage, a guilt trip. How does that free you when you understand that God uses our weakness? To d- okay, so would that be an encouragement to you? When you're focused on your weakness, would you share? No. When you focus on who? God. What? You'll be able to share because it's God through you. See, that's what Paul's talking about here. The principle I want you to understand is is that God uses mortal human beings like you and I, earthen vessels, to demonstrate the power of God, not our power. You understand? To demonstrate the power of God, not our power. So let's look at verses 8 and 9 and we'll see the circumstances of of Paul's ministry. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. A couple of things I want you to see. First of all, human weakness. In these two verses, Paul does this. Paul illustrates their weakness through difficult circumstances they face. Because here, Paul's not just talking about your abilities here. I, when I was talking to you about our weaknesses, I mentioned about our abilities, our, our, the amount of knowledge we have, or our abilities to communicate. But Paul, as he's speaking here, is not just talking about abilities or knowledge. He's talking about circumstances. Because notice what he says here. We are hard-pressed on every side. We are perplexed. We are pers- persecuted. We are struck down. So here's all the circumstances. Are, are, the, are these rosy circumstances? Ideal circumstances for Paul? No, the, the nature of the ministry, the circumstance of his ministry was really difficult circumstances. Difficult circumstances. Now let me just stop here. Let's make this point here real quick. If that's the way it was for the apostle. Why do we think it should be any different for us? Think about that for a moment, because we want an ideal situation where we can share and not face any repercussions. We want to be able to share with people and not have them say, well, you're nuts. We want to share with them and, and not have them reject us. We don't want to face any kind of persecution. Now, so when you look at the Apostle Paul and look at his circumstances, it was pretty tough, wasn't it? What he's saying in these words, I'll be honest with you, we know from the other epistles that he was stoned, left for dead, shipwrecked. I mean, some very difficult circumstances, all for the gospel of Jesus. And here's the wonderful thing about it, is even in spite of that, he kept going on. He kept on ministering. You and I would have said, forget this, hang this up. I'm not doing that anymore. So if if the apostle... Why do we think it should be different for us if that's the way it was for the Apostle Paul? Why do you think? Yeah, we don't want to leave our comfort zones. Did you hear what Millie said? Did everybody understand the question I'm asking? Because when you approach evangelism, you want a perfect situation. You want a perfect scenario where there's no repercussions. 
Just you simply sharing your faith in hopes that the person would say, oh yes, I want to do that. And if he says no, you still want a perfect situation. We don't like a circumstance where maybe we might face some ridicule, might, maybe might face some persecution, maybe might face some hardship. And can I be honest with you, in this day and age, it's getting to be that way. Maybe not in our area here, but all you have to do is read the news, Christian news, and you'll see that it's happening around our country. Persecution has already started. So let me ask you a question. Why do we think we, we're different? Because here's what happens. We live in this illusion that it should be different, but it isn't different. So then when we face hardship, we didn't decide, well, maybe I'm doing it wrong. I need to just give it up. You see my point? So the Apostle is really telling us here that this was the nature of his ministry. But I want you to notice there's another aspect there. Paul demonstrates that God enables them in spite of their weakness. Because notice what he says there. We are hard-pressed, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. See, even in spite of the difficult circumstances, Paul tells you and I, he demonstrates through his life that God enables them in spite of their weaknesses to carry out the task that God has for them to do. Even in spite of all the difficult circumstances. Even in spite of their weaknesses in the midst of those difficult circumstances. God enables them to what? Do what they need to do. Now, why do you think God does that? Yeah, to demonstrate His power. So, who gets the glory? God. The God. So, He gets the glory. You understand? He gets the glory. Now, let me just let me back it off a little bit because here's our human tendencies. Our human tendencies is always to lift leaders up. Have you noticed that? We always lift leaders up. Okay. And, but the fact of the matter is even our leaders have clay feet. They're earthen vessels. So let's, can somebody give me a, a, a name of a great Christian leader of our century here? He's, he's facing death right now. Sooner or later he's going to eventually die. Billy Graham. Would you be shocked to know that Billy Graham has clay feet? He does. In fact, it was just, I think, maybe four or five years ago it was revealed. What do you mean? I didn't ever hear about no scandal with Billy Graham. Well, yeah, it was. He was on a tape that was a Nixon White House. And in it, he was commenting about the Jews. And he was embarrassed by it. And he needed to be. He needed to be. But what did that reveal? Yeah, he's human. Do you understand what I'm saying? But can I tell you what else it revealed? Our tendency to what? Lift up leaders. See, we would look at the wonderful things that Billy Graham are doing, and after a while, we'll get to the point where we say, it's Billy Graham. But no, it's God using Billy Graham. And it's the same God who uses Billy Graham who wants to use you 
Because your feet are made of the same kind of clay. Your feet are made of the same kind of clay. So, we see the enablement there. Let's go on. Here's the principle. He's going to restate the principle again. Look at verse 10 through 12. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then, death is working in us, but life in you. So, he's going to restate the principle a different way here. So notice, first of all, the message of death and life. First of all, the message we carry. Paul stated that they carry the message of Jesus' death in their bodies. They carry the message of Jesus' death in their bodies. You and I carry the message of Jesus' death. Why? The purpose They carry the message in order to bring life to others. See, you and I carry the message that communicates to others that someone died for them in their place because of their sin in their life. You know, we carry the message of life through the death of the cross. We reveal to them that Jesus is the one who died for them in their place because of their sins. Even if they don't think they're sin. Even if they don't think they're sin. So, that's the purpose. Notice verse 11. He tells the, the principle now. And that is, he says this. Paul stated that, he minist- that as he ministered, he constantly faced difficult circumstances. As he ministered, He constantly faced difficult circumstances. I want you to put a star by that principle. I want you to grasp the reality of what is being said here. You and I, if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are His ministers. We are the ministers of the Gospel to our friends, our relatives, those we work with, our neighbors. And the reality is, and you've got to grasp this reality, it ain't going to be easy. No one ever said it was going to be easy. In fact, it says right here, it isn't going to be easy. It's going to be downright hard. It's going to be downright bad. But do you give up? Do you give up? No, you shouldn't, but we do, don't we? Here, let me be honest with you. Having studied a little bit about the methods of evangelism over the last 30 years or so, during the 70s and 80s, our focus on evangelism a lot was really strangers. It was easier for us to share with strangers than to share with people we knew. Because if a stranger rejects you, what can you do with that? Yeah, you just forget that and walk away. Like, well, you're going to hell, buddy. Who cares? I tried. I did my duty. Well, see, can I be honest with you? That style of evangelism doesn't work anymore either. Because we're living in the day and age now, and the makeup of people is that they will only discuss spiritual things with who? People they know. Oh. 
Well, it was easier for me to talk to a stranger because if he rejected me, then I just, I did my job, Jesus. Forget it. I'm out of here. But the reality is that the true work of ministry is done by reaching your friends, your relatives, your associates, and your neighbor. In fact, it's always been that way. Always. I remember Dr. Elmer Towns doing a survey. Every church he goes to, he does a survey. And in his survey, he found that 84% of people in a church came to know Christ because of a friend, a relative, someone they worked with, or a neighbor. It's always been true. Only 6% of people who come to know Christ come to know Christ through an evangelist, through a television ministry, through a radio ministry, through a stranger, through a pastor, or whatever. Only 6%. Excuse me, 16%. 84% because of the work of somebody else here. In fact, if we were to do that here, probably a lot of you would say, yes, I came to faith because of what? Somebody I knew. But yet we've gotten into this mindset that, man, if it gets difficult, I need to stop. I can't share anymore. And the apostle says, look, just grab the principle. Understand the reality of it. If you're going to minister in my name, it's going to be difficult. Grasp the reality of that. Grasp the reality of it. Let me just make one other point here. Unless Jesus comes back tomorrow... It's going to be difficult for every one of us in this country in the next few years. As our country continues to make that digression down the moral slope where right is wrong and wrong is right, it's already happening. Don't you see it? You're going to be looked at as a kook, an extremist. And believe me, It's getting to that point. So just wake up to the reality of that. Wake up to the reality of that. So then he goes on and tells us again the purpose. He faced those difficult circumstances to demonstrate the power of Jesus. He faced those difficult circumstances to demonstrate the power of Jesus in his life. And then he restates the principle again. In verse 12, he says this. Through human weakness, God's power of salvation is demonstrated. Through human weakness, God's power of salvation is demonstrated. The human weakness. Can I give you the ultimate extreme example of this? Throughout history, even to this day, Because whether you realize it or not, this day, there are more Christian martyrs today than there ever were in the persecution of Rome. And to this day, the ultimate weakness is dying. But through the blood of martyrs, God adds what? To the church. God adds to the church. The blood of martyrs, God adds to the church. Why? Because he demonstrates his power through our weakness. Through our weakness. Interesting side note here. I I saw a picture this week in Christianity Today. It showed the typical Christian family in the world. Based upon demographics and everything. What do you think this family looked like? 
a busy North American. What do you think? Nope. Typical Christian family lives in a mud hut, cooks on coal, and is in Africa. There are more Christians outside, really now, more Christians outside of the United States than there are inside the United States. More in Africa, sub-Sierra Africa, more in China, more in Asia than there are here. Actually, what they're showing is that the growth rate for Christianity is skyrocketing everywhere else but here. We're going backwards. We're not moving forward. In fact, the growth curve over the last 10th year, years for the Christian church has been level and starting to di- decline. You want to know why it's starting to decline? The death rate. You boomers are dying. And it's only level. So do you understand? So think about that. As it progresses, you can see the implications of that later on. The typical Christian family in the world today lives in a mud hut cooks on coal, and lives in Africa. Wow. Wow. So, he says, through human weakness, God's power is demonstrated. Now, here, this is a prime example of what I'm talking about, because when we look at the third world, we say, well, those people don't have nothing going for them. they got poverty. they got corruption. They don't even have the education that we do. Yeah, but God's using them. Yeah, but God's still using them. Do you understand? What is he doing? Demonstrating his power through what? Weakness. That's what Paul's talking is the nature of ministry here. God is demonstrating his power through our weaknesses. Now, let's go on. We're going to talk now 13 through 18. We're going to just go through these real quick. The spirit of faith. Look at verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, and therefore I spoke, we also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus, and will present us, present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. We do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So we're going to go through about six different points here real quick. First thing I want you to notice is that he says this. Paul could speak of his sufferings because he was confident that God would deliver him. Paul could speak of his sufferings because he was confident that God would deliver him. See, Paul wasn't embarrassed by his weaknesses. Paul wasn't saying, well, you know, I'm sorry, I don't have enough knowledge, or I'm sorry, I can't speak well, I'm sorry, I'm facing difficult circumstances, I don't really want to talk about it. No, he talked about it. Why? Because when he talked about it, everybody would realize, man, well, how are you accomplishing what you're accomplishing? God. Because it isn't me. God. He goes on and he says this. The next point I want you to see there, he says this. Paul's confidence was based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Paul's confidence was based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what was he confident of? He wasn't confident in himself. He was confident in the one who rose from the dead. I can't think of a better thing to be confident in. I can't be confident in myself. Can you? No. So then he goes on. Because of Christ's resurrection, he knew that he would be resurrected. Because of Christ's resurrection, he knew that he would be resurrected. You understand, the only reason why you know that you're going to be resurrected is not because you pray some prayer. The only reason why you know you're going to be resurrected is because he was resurrected. You understand that? That is the basis of your whole concept of Christianity, faith, salvation. Look, it's the only reason why you know you're saved. Because when he rose from the dead, he validated what? Everything he said before. If there was no resurrection, then we might as well just shut it down, turn off the radio there or the sound system, Brad. We're just going home. No, don't do it, Brad. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Okay? No, we just might as well just hang it up and go on home. You know, we'll meet you all at Pizza Hut. I mean, because let's, let's just do our own thing now. So that was his confidence. And so notice the benefit. He's going to talk about the benefit of his suffering. Paul suffered for the sake of the Corinthian believers and the glory of God. Look, you need to start looking differently at why you go through the stuff you go through. You need to begin to look differently at it because what you're going through is ultimately for whose glory? God's glory. And for the benefit of others. Start looking at it differently. Because he did. He did. In fact, we're going to notice later when we get to chapter 12, he even talks about boasting in his infirmities. Because it's the power of God who's manifested through them. Then he goes on, he talks about his continued confidence. Paul continued, in spite of his weaknesses, because of God's enabling power. He continued in, his, in spite of his weaknesses because he knew God was going to strengthen him to do it. Look, if you know that God is telling you to do something, and if you've made face some difficult circumstances, you want to throw in your towel, and you say, man, I don't have the resources, I don't have the brain power, I, I don't even have the strength to do this. You just keep plugging on and you ask God to strengthen you and you'll know that you'll get through it because He's the one who'll strengthen you to do it. Because if He told you to do it, He'll enable you to do it. And let me just give you something. He didn't pick you because He thought you had the right stuff to do it. He picked you because He knew you didn't have the right stuff to do it. And so He picked you so that, what? He would get the glory. He would get the glory. So then he goes on and he talks about the nature of affliction. Paul understood that affliction was only for the moment. Look, keep it in perspective when you're going through that hard time. Think not in terms of now. Think in terms of now compared to eternity. It's only for the moment. Hey, you know what I'm talking about. Even just, I want you to think for a moment. Think about the, the crises that you went through over the last ten years. Remember when you were in the midst of those crises, you thought, man, how in the world am I ever going to get through this? I don't know how I'm going to get through I don't know. Uh, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Well, ten years later, did you get through it? 
was only for the moment, wasn't it? When we were in the midst of it, we didn't think it was for the moment. We thought the rest of our lives was going to be this way. But it was only for the moment. Keep it in perspective. So then he goes on and he states this. Paul stated that the coming glory was more important. You know, you're going through a hard time right now. What's more important is the coming glory. What's the coming glory? Jesus coming back for you. You in eternal realms with Him. That's more important. Focus on what's more important. Focus on what's more important. And then finally, He gives an eternal perspective. Paul's focus was eternal, not temporal. Can I be honest with you? Number one problem with us, and I know because I'm one of them, uh, with us as North Americans is this. We are more worried about our comfort level now. We're more worried about the stuff in my house. Now, I'm, I'm going to share an embarrassing moment with you for a moment, and that's this. If you were to come to my house and go to my attic, you'd be shocked. I mean, I've got to go up there and do some house cleaning, and I've just been putting it off because I've got nothing but junk that we've accumulated in 13 years of marriage that's up there, and we're saving it. I don't know why we're saving it. Now, that's my embarrassing moment, and you probably have the same one. Okay, this is his garage, okay? You know what I'm saying? We're saving this stuff, and we don't know why, because our focus is what? Temporal. When it should be what? Eternal. That's the nature of being a Christ, a minister of Christ.